0: On today's podcast, we're going to get into some culture and teaching methods, and joining me to discuss his journey through coaching and what he's doing now is the co-defensive coordinator and safety coach at Duke, Matt Guerrero. Matt, it's great to have you here.
1: Uh, Keith, it's great to be on here. It's an absolute honor, and I appreciate your time today.
0: So, I mean, we have some things in, in common here, Matt. You are a Northeast Ohio guy. You're an East Sider, though. You know, I'm I'm from the West Side. There's distinct differences there. Anybody who's grown up in Northeast Ohio knows what I mean. But Coach here grew up in this area. Good football here, Coach. You know, before we get into some of the things we're going to talk about, I do want to talk about just your journey to the point where you are right now, and you know, things that you've learned along the way. So, talk to us a little bit about your start in coaching and what inspired you to be a football coach.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'll start, you know, with my path in college. So obviously you hit it on the head there with me being from Cleveland, Ohio. But I went to school at Davidson College, which is about 20 miles north of Charlotte, North Carolina, right on Lake Norman. I got spoiled there for four years, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do besides just play football. And was starting my first game my sophomore season, played special teams my first year and a little bit of defense. But was starting at safety my sophomore year, and uh, right before halftime, I tore my left ACL. And made a recovery from that in the old season and came back and was a starter again my junior year and fourth game of the year I told my right ACL. So uh, back-to-back years of, of tearing my knees up and spending way more time on the sidelines and with our coaches than I did on the field started to pique my interest in coaching. So I actually spent some some of that year in the press box and trying to help those guys from a learning perspective. And, you know, obviously my relationship was close with them as a player, but from that that coach's vantage point. So I I played my senior year, and then from there I I told the coaches at Davidson that I had interest in coaching football and wanted to try to do that. So I I reached out to every single guy that was a Davidson grad that was in the business, NFL, college, high school, it didn't matter. I, I wanted to just reach out and build connections because no one in my family has ever coached. My dad was a doctor, my mom was a nurse, and I had to make some connections. You know, any business, but especially coaching, it's who you know. So the head coach at Davis and Trip Merritt reached out to the head coach at Lenoir Ryan University, Fred Goldsmith, for me. And we had played Lenoir Ryan as one of our, you know, one A versus D2 opponents and Division two school in Hickory, North Carolina. So I, I went there on an interview when I was still a student. So I, I took a Friday afternoon and went over there and interviewed with Fred Goldsmith. And that was my first introduction to another coach that had been outside of the circle of Davidson. And I got to build a really close relationship with Fred Goldsmith. But most of the day of the interview, I spent with Mike Houston, who is currently the head coach of East Carolina and was the defensive coordinator at Lenore Ryan at the time. And I still joke all the time, but that was the hardest interview I ever had. He put me on the board and started growing me an X and O's like I had been in the business, uh, the same length that he had been in the business. So, but it it was absolutely awesome. And coach Houston and I have a great relationship to this day, but that was really my start. So I was able to get on there as a graduate assistant and making 300 bucks a month and uh, living in campus housing and one free meal a day. So I I was happy with that. And, uh, it's funny, my first day on the job before Coach Goldsmith had retired was in the summer. So I I'd get my stuff moved in from Davidson to Hickory, North Carolina in our, our uh, small little spot that we had. There were four of us living in a, a two-bedroom place. And I had I had a leather couch that I lived on at the time, which we, we still laughed at looking back on that. But Frank Goldsmith walked up to me and he said, hey, Matt, I've got a, a project for you. And I'm thinking, shoot, day one, here's a head coach coming up to me. He's got a project for me. And he walked me outside and said, you see all this crabgrass on the practice field right here? Why don't you start pulling all of this out of the grass? So that was my, that was my first job as a big-time college football coach right there. So but that was that was the start of my path. And then obviously I was able to, you know, come to Duke with David Cutcliffe and it's been an unbelievable experience and I've been around some really great mentors.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Talking about your mentors, I mean, you, know, you, you do have some some good ones. You mentioned there, including your current head coach. Things that you've learned, right, as you develop now and, you know, still relatively young in this profession at 30 what things have you learned that really have impacted the way you go about your coaching
1: yeah i think you know for me as a as a young coach who started with coach goals and coach houston has developed underneath coach cutcliffe i call it the sponge theory but if you just soak up one percent of these great mentors that you're around jim knowles who i worked underneath who's out in defense coordinator oklahoma state who was at duke all these guys that are great football minds If you can just soak up 1% of those guys, and I think then you can learn what you apply to your own philosophies to be able to grow that. But I think the best lesson along the way, and not that this is unique to just Duke, but I, I, I believe I work underneath right now, the best mentor in college football in David Cutcliffe. And the influence that you have and the platform you have as a college football coach or high school football coach or any level football coach in developing young men, that's the most important thing that we could possibly do especially right now, none of us are with our players right now, but we're on zoom meetings and FaceTime and those types of things to have real authentic relationships and pour into those guys and then to go be invited back to their weddings five or six years after you finish coaching them and things like that. That's the most important lesson that I think that we can learn as coaches is the importance of, again, that's why we do it, right? We do it to get into this because someone in our life influenced us that way. So to try to pay it back to those guys, I think
0: that's critical important. You know, that, that kind of dovetails with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and I know two things that definitely you have been impacted by Coach Cutcliffe in, in the way you go about both of these things. So, you know, in talking to Joe Casper, he's a, a graduate assistant there at Duke with you guys and another, I think, great young coach. That's been very impactful on him is is how you guys develop a culture. And, you know, he's told me a little bit about that and. And then, as you mentioned to me, the way you guys go about teaching as well. So we're going to t- touch on both of those things. And I guess for you, you know, Coach Cutcliffe, certainly he sets the expectations. He's the guy who builds the foundation of the culture. What is it now that, you know, you're picking up the ball and, and running with as far as how you now help build that culture in your unit and your position group, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we pride ourselves on being teachers, right? So, it starts with relationships. And I think the first thing that we're charged with is developing young men. So the way that coach Cutcliffe would talk about that is teaching winning as a value. So you're trying to win football games, right? But it's got to be taught as a value for their life as well. So we can use the example of finishing through a cone or finishing through a line in mat drills, right? Or morning runs, things like that. The short-term effect of that is, okay, the guy's a better finisher when he's blocking or a finisher when he's tackling or, your team may be a better fourth-quarter finishing team. Those are all really important things, right, short-term as far as winning football games. But long-term for that individual's life, they're a better finisher in their job or their faith or with their family, right? So I think, I think teaching winning as a value, winning is an all-the-time thing, right? But teaching that as a value I think is critically important for developing young men. And I think that Coach Cutcliffe has instilled that in us, and I think that permeates throughout our culture at Duke University.
0: So thinking of, of other big picture items as far as that culture, right? Because I mean, Coach Cut as the head coach is is going to be able to say, this is what we're about. But you know, just like everything you do, he can't be the only guy driving it. So other things you do to help drive that culture and spread that message. And even some of those buzzwords, right? I think our our, our players get those little sound bites that, that they hear again and again, that become part of what they're doing. What are the things that you're driving and these guys are hearing at Duke.
1: Absolutely. So it uh, definitely starts at the top, but I think your role as a coordinator is for your side of the ball to have a very clear vision and, then, and, and culture within that. And then I think as a position coach, Coach Kucklick will say, you're the head coach of your position. So I do think it starts at the top, but if you're not active in, in permeating that culture as a position group or a defense, then I think that you, you fail there. So I would start with – First, establishing what you want to be, right? So for us, defensively, when I think of culture, I think of, okay, it's not necessarily what you do, but how you do it, right? So there's great schemes that are all over the country. So four defenses, three-three stack, four-two-five, it doesn't matter. There's a bunch of people who have been successful with those things. That's why they all exist. I don't know how important, while they're important, the schematics of it, how you do them and the mentality that you play with is really important. So, what we've done at, at Duke University is we call our defense devil defense because we're the Duke Blue Devils, but our culture is what we call 60 minutes of hell. And this is stolen, the original idea is Nolan Richardson for Arkansas basketball won a national championship, actually beat a Duke University team in the national title game with an Arkansas team where they would just press in your face, aggressive, no quit. We want that mentality on how we do things on defense, right? So obviously we play a sixty minute game, but we want what we call sixty minutes of how which goes with our team of double defense at Duke, but, but we want that type of mentality in in what we do at our place, which I, I believe is critically important in, in how we do things. You know, from a teaching progression of how we do things at Duke, one of Coach Cutcliffe's big things is he what he is Labeled the 55. So if you ever hear him clinic at all, uh, it's big for our defense too. What 55 stands for is the average play is about five seconds long. And there are five things that we have to accomplish in those five seconds to be successful. And in order, those are alignment, assignment, effort, execution, and finish. And if we're able to do those things, then we're going to be really successful in, in how we do that. The building blocks of what Duke University is established on and what our defense is established on as well, as far as our football program, is discipline and conditioning, right? So if you're not a really disciplined individual or a conditioned person, I think think it becomes really hard to do your 111 consistently at the expectation that, that you need to, you know? So those are some of the things from a buzzword standpoint. Discipline and conditioning, 55 60 minutes of hell, the, the way that we try to do things at Duke that our guys are completely bought into.
0: Coach, you, you mentioned the teaching methods and how you go about things. And I'm always interested in in that part of it because you know we can, we can look at the overview and see the schemes and plays that people run, defenses people run, and there's gonna be a lot of similarities, but I think what it boils down to is how you do those things. And and for the coach, how you do those things is how you teach it on the field. So talk to us about things you feel, I guess, are unique to the way you guys do things at Duke.
1: Yeah. One of my philosophies is to meet players where they're at, to get them where you want them to be. Right. So I'll use recruiting, for example, there's a lot of guys who are better texters right now than talkers. Right. So if, I text message a guy, he may respond better before he knows me, right? Compared to just talking to me on the phone, right? So what's the end result is, or the end goal is for us to have a really, really close relationship. We're communicating at a really high level, right? Or no different with your players. um, You may want them making checks and verbalizing defenses at a really high level. Okay. Well, maybe they're better at video games than they are at doing that. How do we meet them where they're at to get them where we want them to be? So for example, recruiting, I may start a conversation with, texting back and forth and building a relationship and breaking down those barriers to get them to where they're comfortable with me. And they're at a place where they can communicate and articulate the way that we need them to at Duke. Right. So that's a big philosophy um, for us. You know, when a couple of years ago, when Chip Kelly was making a transition from the NFL back into college football, he came and spent some time with us and our staff. And one of the things that he brought up was, he talked about how in the NFL, everything is even. If you win, you draft last. If you lose, you draft first, right? You you have this even playing field that makes such a unique league for them. So he felt like their advantage was, okay, let's become the best teachers, right? So he actually hired a teaching firm. and This is well publicized about how he went about that to try to make his coaches be the most efficient teachers that we can. And we've tried to use a lot of those methods to, to teach with our guys. So not just... What the scheme is, but how they're implementing it, why are we running it, what's the attack that could be against that? So, so trying to be really, really systematic with our guys from that standpoint, and then how do guys learn, right? Some guys can hear it from you one time and be able to do it. Some guys have to see it in a playbook or written down, or some guys need to see someone else do it on film or do it themselves, right? Which obviously most guys learn best by doing it and then reviewing their own film. But trying to create installations. Which we spent a lot of time on that, that meet every single one of those potential criteria for our guide to be able to learn. And then I think one of the unique things that we do is we make our meetings very interactive. And I think more interactive than most. Every one of our meetings at Duke ends with a series of exit questions that have to be answered before the our players will leave the meeting. And one of the unique things that we do, Keith, is if I said, let's say we're all sitting in a group of 50 people, and I said, Keith, you know, what's this trips check? Well, you're listening to me because I'm directing it towards you, right? Compared to if I addressed the room and I said, hey, what's this trips check, right? Everybody thought of it. And then I said, Keith, and then you had answer, right? So I think it creates an environment where everybody is learning. And that may seem like a very small thing, but I think it's critically important. To, uh, what's the best way that everyone in that room can learn? And then also creating some pressure for guys, no different than the game creates pressure in, in times to be able to put it, be put on the spot and articulate in front of your peers.
0: Yeah, that, that method of being able to teach that way. I can think back to Ohio High School Football Coaches Clinic. And I want to say, and I, I actually don't remember the year. It was the year that Urban took over and it was his first talk. He had just gotten the job and his whole talk was on teaching methods, right? And and that same kind of thing that there, he's, you know, his coaches are expected to really keep these guys on edge right like it's it's about not just sitting back and relaxing it's about really being engaged and for those coaches finding the best ways to do that because it's it's a little bit different with every single kid so it's not a cookie cutter approach um certainly i think we have you know more guys in the room maybe that trend towards learning a certain way but there's those outliers too that you can't leave them behind i mean there's you know, numerous stories where you hear a, a guy who's just had a bad experience with this program or that program and, and the, the reality is they just didn't understand how to reach them. It wasn't that they were bad coaches or anything in that regard. It was, you know, there was not that I guess consistency in being able to get to that guy and, and help him with what he needs.
1: I think I think it's critically important and it starts with authentic relationships. You know, if there's anything that we try to do great at Duke it's built great relationships with our players. And it starts there, and and I think you've got to be real from the moment that you even start that from a a recruiting standpoint. We've had great consistency. Coach got going into his 13th year. I'm going into my ninth year at Duke, so we've been able to do that for a long period of time.
0: So looking at at some of the specifics, I guess giving us some specific examples of of those teaching methods you feel that have really aided you and your ability to reach these players, what are some, maybe a couple specific things that you'd point to?
1: One of the unique things that we've been able to do that's helped our players is when we install film for our guys or we put install tapes together, we built them like teach tapes. So they have circles highlighting players. They have, you know, words overlaying with coaching points. So it's able to go through a progression of playbook with notes through that, right, pictures through that. It's able to go through film. Right. So the guys can see that. And all of that gets recorded as essentially like a movie as it runs. And then those guys have that to be able to teach each other. Right. So in the summer, when guys are able to structure their own time to do workouts and meetings and things like that, then you've got seniors that are getting up and giving installations that they've already been through in the spring. Obviously, we're in a unique time right now, but that they would only go through in the spring. And they're teaching the younger players. Right. So there's accountability from our end to the players end from the veteran players to the younger players so i think that's made those guys understand our defense even better because we've built a system where they're able to become teachers right and if you can't te- if a player can't teach a concept then i don't think that they really know it and through that system then i think it's been easier for us as a play caller than you know what your guys really know through those series of questions and things like that if not I think that it becomes hard if, if you're guessing, if your guys really know that defense like the back of their hand.
0: Yeah, I can think specifically of examples, you know, and that was something I really believed in too, and, and we worked to make part of, you know, our our offensive culture when I was at BW was, you know, those guys, especially the upper-level guys, you know, being – coaches on the, on the field, right? I mean, what what's better in, in a position group of, let's say, 10 guys? Is it better having just those two set eyes and the coach at the top driving everything, or is it better to have 22? And, you know, I can think specifically of, of two guys in, you know, this receiver position group who won early on towards ACL and was done for his senior year, kind of became, you know, came out and And did all his things with us that year and really was a coach on the field helping those younger guys and then a guy who was a freshman you know at that time and actually took over the the starting position a couple weeks later his senior year was out for a few weeks with a hamstring injury and you know he was that exact same guy both of those guys went on to coach high school ball one of them now is an administrator the other one is working to be a college administrator, but still doing some football training on the side. But it was like that attitude and, you know, for them develop that love of teaching and coaching. And, you know, a a lot of that happens because you enable your guys to be that on the field, you enable them to teach others. I mean, I think some of the highest form of learning is when you can teach it to somebody else.
1: Absolutely. No, I I think that you have to be very strategic as a coach and empower those guys to do that because I don't think it's natural for Everybody, right? Everybody's a leader because everybody has influence, right? You're pulling in either a a good or a negative direction on a group. But I think empowering those guys and showing them how they can grow in that area has been really important to us. And it's, you know, turned guys who may be spoken guys, but doing things the right way into more verbal guys and captains for your football team. So I think it's been been really really good for us and i'll give you one other example too keith is we've tried to be really specific with identifying to our guys on defense what we would consider winning edges right so what are you know the 13 things or how many things that you may identify as a staff that are you have to do to be able to win on defense and highlighting those things consistently after every practice or after every game so I'll give you some examples like uh, we you junction points, right? So anytime that two bodies are colliding on a field, tackle opportunity to block opportunity, getting off a of block opportunity, right? So what we do is we present these things in a film session with big slides and overlays, that it would come up and say junction points. And then the entire room would say, got to win them, right? As a point of emphasis for them. Or, right. I may say clean feet, right? Playing with a good base, not crossing your feet. And then they would respond, can't have dirty ones. Or I may say, tips and overthrows, and then they would respond, got to have those, tip balls, overthrown balls from a quarterback to, to capitalize on in that interception opportunity. So I think we've we've tried to be really specific and interactive, right, with, okay, these are the kind of things that you have to do to be a great defensive football player and team, highlighting those every day and being consistent so the guys know, okay, hey, this is what we're working on to become great at.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think the, the key there is you've made it simple enough that – it does become interactive for them that, you know, you're talking about one or a one or two word phrase. They're giving back to you a one or two word phrase, three word phrase, whatever it might be, that it's got to be simple enough that they can be able to communicate it. Certainly, they want to understand all the details that underlie it, but you got to start somewhere with those guys. It's got to be that simple language that they can start to communicate, because if it's complicated, it makes it hard for that guy to be able to take on that role of, of becoming like a coach on the field.
1: Absolutely. And you get, you know, that you get what you emphasize, right? So if you try to emphasize a million different things, you're you're not going to have a great result, right? So it may be our focus point is get better at takeaways. or Our focus point is getting better at tackling or vicing the football, whatever it is. I think being very specific with those things and having those program wide is what coach cut has done with a lot of his, you know, buzzwords like 55 which we talked about or, or things like that are winning edges on defense I think have helped us because the expectations are clear and the players work to get better at those things that you're putting emphasis on.
0: So coach for our position coaches out there who, who do coach the safeties i to give them a, a little bit from you some advice or great tips from you in this podcast you know thinking about safety play in general I know that's going to vary for everybody by scheme but what are some things you can share that feel would help in coaching that position?
1: Yeah, I think it all starts with your eyes, and that may sound crazy, but I think one of the biggest things when you see safeties, whether they're really high-level high school players or not, is a bunch of them are are chronic peekers in the backfield because everybody's trying to make a play, right? And uh, I think that hurts you more than it helps you a lot of times. And I think training their eyes and being very specific with them of what alignments and keys and stance and and pre-snap routine for them is really, really critically important. And I think it all starts with your eyes and for them knowing where to look. And then I think the the best safeties have very little wasted movement because their eyes are in the right place and their feet are tied to their eyes and they're able to make fast decisions based on run past keys that, that you give them.
0: And just looking at that position, right, taking that young guy who's learning things, what do you feel is a key to get that guy to play confidently?
1: Yeah, I think – confidence is earned through work. I don't think that you can ever fake confidence. You know, a guy may make a couple plays or, you know, things like that, but to be consistent, I think that is confidence is earned through their preparation. So one of our phrases at Duke is practice makes permanent. So whatever that guy does consistently is what is going to show up in the fourth quarter of a game on a Friday night, a Saturday or Sunday. That's the reality of that. Right. So, you don't rise to the occasion. It's a Navy SEAL line, right? You sink to the level of your training when you hit adversity. And I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. So the comp, from a confidence level is, okay, here's clear expectations. Here's the demands that we put in place, right, and teacher scheme, and then doing it over and over and over and over again and then knowing the result is going to be whatever the result has been for that individual. So if it's working on quarters coverage and snap reads in quarters and flat foot bouncing and crack replacing from the roof or, you know, whatever it is, or teaching a middle of the field player how to read high shoulder and low shoulder from a quarterback to break efficiently on the football or a blitz technique and, and how to understand to you know finish to the upfield shoulder of the quarterback or how my read may change based on a tackles pass set or run block, right? So those kind of things, being very specific with those and then not having so much that a guy can't master those things. So being really specific, you know, from a technique standpoint and then letting them do it over and over and over again so confidence is earned through the work
0: coach with something that you guys do that you're able to see you know whether it's recruiting or watching a high school game or even another college game people who do something similar to you but you see maybe some technical or tactical errors on the part of the the db trying to do it what's one of those things that maybe you see not executed as well as it can be and what would be your tip to fix that
1: Yeah, you know, I think when you play a lot of tight coverage like we do at the college level, press coverage on the outside or even at the safety position, you're going to get into positions in phase, which is, you know, your hips are even, right, and you could step down someone's midline to look and lean to make a play, but a lot of times you're going to be out of phase, right, and you're trailing a wide receiver, and I think the first response from a defensive back is to panic, right? And what does everybody do? They look back and now there's even more separation between the wide receiver and, and them, right? So a term that we've used, we actually call our DBs cheetahs here, but the, the reason that we came up with that idea was if you ever watch a cheetah hunt, he gets his eyes to the near hip, hip as he, he chases his prey, right? We use that term cheetah to get our eyes to the near hip if we're ever in a trail position in coverage. So again, give them a very specific, okay, I may be beat, but it's not over till it's over. A lot of things have to go right, Right, so busting your butt to get back into the near hip, other wide receiver down the field, and then confidently playing through the hands with the technique that has been taught to you by your coach. I think I think that is a huge huge thing compared to our default is a quit or panic mechanism. So I think teaching that concept of what we what we call cheetah at Duke I think is really important. And then that term of ice and your hip works on everything, right? It could be near hip tracking as I'm running the alley as a safety I'm out of a quarter deployment or middle of the field. But that concept I think has been huge for us, and it's a reason that we've defended a ton of balls at Duke, even in a time that we may not be in great position. We can't get an interception, but we're still going to finish the play, and then it's second down and 10 after that compared to a touchdown because we panic.
0: Coach, you shared a lot of great tips with us today on a multitude of topics here. But you know, for you, looking at uh, all the things you do as a coach on and off the field, what's the one thing you'd say really gives your guys the winning edge?
1: I think it's, it's authentic relationships. And that may sound crazy that gives you a winning edge on the field, but if I'm so close with guys in their room and, and that family and those guys look at each other as true family and there's trust amongst them and they're going to play harder because they know that they're putting it on the line for the guy next to them and that's a true love and true bond in that room of guys, I think that gives us an edge at Duke University. And I think when you see how hard our guys play for each other, that's the why that lies behind it. It's really high-level character individuals that are are working as hard as they can, not for themselves, but for the dude that's right next to them. I I think that makes it really powerful. And that's if, if I try to pride myself on anything, it's that.
0: For our listeners out there who might be in your recruiting area, what areas do you recruit?
1: Yeah, so I've, for a number of years, I've recruited parts of Atlanta and continue to do that. My North Carolina area has shifted a little bit more towards the Charlotte area, so I'll be in that part of the state more often. I recruit Cleveland, Ohio for us, and still around in a number of places in Ohio. And then also, we'll be starting to go down towards South Florida as well. So those would be my main areas, but I cross over a lot for defensive players all over the country. And the other thing, obviously, I know we're in a unique time right now, but if, for anybody who's, who's listening and wants to visit with us, we're wide open at our place at Duke. So when we get back into a situation where we can do that, then, you know, we'd love to have you on our campus.
0: And coach for our listeners out there who want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, I think Twitter is a great resource for that. And my handle is just my name, Matt Guerrero. That's a great one. And then my email is my first initial M dot my last name, Guerrero at Duke.edu. If you'd rather do it that way, but Twitter and email are, are great ways to be able to connect.
0: And because you have one of those good Cleveland ethnic names in Guerrero, we better spell that for our listeners.
1: Yeah, so my last name is G-U-E-R-R-I-E-R-I. So Matt, M-A-T-T. G-U-E-R-R-I-E-R-I so that's why that's why all the players call me Coach G not uh, not that crazy long last
0: name yeah right yeah I was Coach G for a long time too but Co- <laughs> <laughs> Coach I, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, sharing with us here and, and helping to make this profession better
1: absolutely well, I appreciate all the hard work that you're doing especially during this time and being able to get coaches on this and absolutely fantastic and so greatly appreciate what you do for all of us
0: Thanks again for listening and follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski for all of our updates and content links. And go to coachingcoordinator.com to get past show notes and articles.